If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing. Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged Unboxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You'll also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport. Here's Al Bernstein Unplugged. Hi, everybody. Al Bernstein here with episode number four of our Al Bernstein Unplugged podcast slash show, and uh, this one should be a fun one. We've got some some fun things to present to you. Uh, first of all, we're going to interview uh, Sean Porter, uh, the fine uh, welterweight contender and former champion who's now a broadcaster for Fox. We also have some really good questions from you that you sent in, and I have a really wacky uh, flashback to a fight that I'm sure most of you have never heard of, uh, but it created some crazy, crazy circumstances. And who better to uh, talk to about crazy circumstances than my wonderful co-host, um, my good friend, Mr. Trip Mitchell. Trip, how are you today? I am great, and I can't wait for the sports books to open up in Vegas again because I bet the over on the number of episodes of this podcast. So we're about to hit the over. <laughs> we're hitting the over on it. Oh my God. We're, I, feel, I feel like my self-esteem is just going to the ceiling. <laughs> hey, by the way, great job last week with the Bob Arum interview. That was so much was fun, fun to listen to. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. And, uh, and what I liked about it was we had some, we, he, of course he told great stories from the past and we've gotten great feedback on it, but also uh, pushed us forward in terms of uh, what they're thinking about the future. And one of the really interesting things, he talks about the last Wilder fight, a $17 million gate. That's just people to pay to see the fight. Are we in the wrong business? Shouldn't we be boxers? Yeah, definitely. Well, I've been asked before to get involved in promotions, and I've never never done that. Um, but uh, I think that would be a slight conflict of interest with announcing. Although in the world of boxing, conflicts of interest don't really count, I don't think. And your best line from uh, the show, recent show, was that there's no black and white in boxing, only green. I've yeah. gotten compliments from True. that. That's the one color that unifies pretty much everybody. 
it, do you have a favorite war between promoters? Because I know Don King and Bob Arum were at each other's throats. That's a they fun part. They were the funniest, I think. They were the best because, you know, there was, I mean, it was after the Delahoya Trinidad fight when Don King said, the lights are out in Aramville. <laughs> of course, they weren't. <laughs> and that was when Trinidad beat Delahoya by a narrow margin. But uh, theirs was the most colorful of all the, uh, the, um, the rivalries. And uh, when we get back into the swing of things, we'll see some more rivalries. Well, speaking of that, during the interview, Bob talked about getting a start on boxing during the summer. And strategically, what a great move that would be, because if boxing comes back when we don't have baseball, basketball or hockey or football, for that matter, boxing is going to see some great numbers. Yeah, I think it will. And uh, and there are some, you know, of course, you want to, they want to come back safely and uh, and and the sport wants to to present itself in the right way. It'll likely be without fans, of course, for the first uh, portion of it. And there are lots of fights that are intriguing that uh, could come back. Speaking of that, what fights that were made are you excited to see if they can happen again in the yeah, post-COVID-19? Right. There were, there were several on the, There were a number. Boxing got off to a very nice start in 2020 in any case. And then there were fights on the books that looked really good, like they were going to continue the momentum. And here are a couple that I am so anxious to see that I think it looks like will definitely be rescheduled before the calendar year ends in 2020, whether with or without fans. One uh, is a heavyweight matchup that was going to happen in England. Daniel Dubois and Joe, Joseph Joyce, uh, two undefeated heavyweights, just on the cusp of breaking into that upper echelon group that includes uh, Wilder and, and Fury and Joshua and Dillian White and those people. And that fight I thought was fascinating. Joyce is the older of the two. Uh, both had really good amateur backgrounds. They're both undefeated as pros. They're both more of the great heavyweights that get produced by the UK. Seems like they, you know, they're like a factory for great heavyweights in that part of the world. And these two men were going to create, I think, a terrific fight. I'm pretty sure that fight's going to be back on track. I can't wait to see that one. Another fight, Jose Ramirez, the 140-pound champion, who is an all-action fighter, very exciting, also a vulnerable fighter. You know, his style lends itself to him getting hit and him hitting other people. Uh, he was going to take on Victor Postal. Now, Victor Postal is a veteran, uh, and some people may think that his best days were behind him, but he proved otherwise in a fight that I announced a little while ago when he took on Josh Taylor, who is now considered, along with Ramirez, the, perhaps the top 140-pounder in the world. Um, and Postal gave him everything he wanted in that ring, everything he could handle. I did that fight in Glasgow, Scotland, and the scoring was far too wide in the victory for uh, Josh Taylor, even Barry McGuigan, who was at that point uh, Josh Taylor's uh, promoter and manager, even he admitted that the, uh, the, the scoring was too wide. So it was a very close and good fight. And what I love about that fight is it's stylistically it's a great matchup. Jose Ramirez, a come-forward, aggressive fighter. Postal, taller, more length, more reach. Uh, who boxes well, but has a little pop in his punch. And so I think that is going to be uh, a great match. And then there was one that wasn't officially announced, but now is. And that is the fight uh, that it appears to going to take place between Gervonta Davis and Leo Santa Cruz, uh, with 
Santa Cruz coming up in weight. He had gone up to 130 pounds. Of course, he was a multiple champion in, in, in several weight divisions below that. Uh, and now he wants to take on Gervonta Davis, the lightweight champion. Now, whether where that fight will be fought, what weight class that will be fought at is a question. Can Davis get down to 130? I doubt it. Um, Santa Cruz has only fought one time at 130 moving up. So he'd have to move up yet another way to 135 if they fought at lightweight. And even making lightweight for Javante Davis has been a bit of a struggle. So that's the big question there. The Stylistically, it's a terrific matchup. Uh, Santa Cruz, again, tall with a great reach, a volume puncher. And Javante Davis, a power puncher, who's pretty quick with his hands and punches with tremendous power. Uh, has some stamina issues from time to time, and that is where Santa Cruz would like to get him into those later rounds where he feels maybe he could win a decision or even uh, perhaps make something more dramatic happen against Davis. Uh, the big issue will be whether Leo Santa Cruz can move up that much in weight and be and handle the power of Gervonta Davis. That fight will be on Showtime pay-per-view, so I'll be thrilled to do it. Uh, they've said, uh, the Mayweather promotions, Leonard Obrey said that, they believe that fight's going to happen in 2020. So we'll see uh, if that one takes place. But there are a lot of good fights, clearly, that are on the horizon. Uh, we also, on this show, don't just look ahead. We look back because we like to do a feature on this show called The Flashback. For today's flashback, we're going to look back at a fight that is on this feature not because the fight itself was so great, but because of the circumstances surrounding it. Um, in our interview last week with Bob Aram, we talked about all the wacky things that happened on the top-ranked boxing series on ESPN that, uh, that lasted um, uh, over 15 years. And this one is way high at the top of the list when it comes to wacky things happening. It was a fight on April 11, 1983 featuring Sean Mannion and Danny Chapman. It was in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and Sean Mannion was getting ready to fight for uh, a world title against Mike McCallum. And all he had to do was win this fight, uh, a keep busy fight, against veteran Danny Chapman. Uh, Mannion was the big favorite. This was his home area of Massachusetts. He had emigrated from uh, from Ireland, and but this, these were his fans, and. Cape Cod was his area where he was fighting. And all he had to be, do was beat Danny Chapman. Well, for the first six or seven rounds in the fight, everything was going along swimmingly. Sean Mannion, a stylish lefty boxer, was doing extremely well and winning the fight. Now we hit round eight. And all of a sudden, Danny Chapman, who was a decent fighter, started making some inroads. And he was battering Sean Mannion. Now we flash forward to... Round number 10, the final round of the fight. Danny Chapman lands a couple of body punches that are so devastating they would Mannion would later find out he had a cracked rib as a result of it. And Sean Mannion was in desperate trouble. He was grasping at Chapman, looked like he was gasping for air, and it looked really like his dream of fighting for a world championship was about to go down the tubes. And then something kind of mysterious and from Sean Mannion's standpoint, miraculous happened. The lights went out in the arena. <laughs> Go figure. 
Well, they were out for about 20 minutes. Then miraculously, the lights returned. And at that point, and miraculously it returned uh, with, with just about, there was about a minute and a half left in the round, the 10th round. They got them back after this 20 minute delay and Sean Mannion with some time to recover, kind of struggled his way through the last minute and a half of the fight. And justifiably, if, from the standpoint of the actual scoring, was given a decision and won the fight. Now, needless to say, there was a lot of speculation that this was kind of odd, that there was a blackout. <laughs> and that speculation grew even more intense when it was revealed the next day that there was no blackout anywhere in the Cape Cod area that night except for that specific arena. So... Most folks to this day believe, and there's been much speculation, that perhaps somebody found a way to pull the plug on the lights. Now, the other thing that happened was when the lights came back up, uh, this crowd had been drinking heavily, and, and <laughs> no great shock. Every time I went to Massachusetts, something happened in, in, with the crowds. Um, they were pretty fired up. And when the lights came back up, when you look, there were, it was mid-scuffle all around the arena. There were like at least four or five different fights going on between people. They finally got all that quelled and it was a pretty crazy night. So after we sign off on the, the air, um, the weirdness did not end because I went to the bathroom uh, in the arena getting ready to leave. And I go into this, it was a, not a big bathroom. It was a giant arena. And, but there were about five urinals there. And a gentleman walks, and nobody's in any of the other urinals. A gentleman walks in, and he's dressed in all black leather, and he's got all kinds of chains, and he's, you know, uh, and he comes in uh, and stands right next to me, at the urinal next to me, even though there's four more that he could have stood at <laughs> if he liked. He reaches into his back, the back of his thing, and pulls out, a big handgun and puts it on the urinal and looks at me and said, what did you think of the fight? <laughs> to which I replied, what would you like me to think about the fight? <laughs> he just kind of chuckled and he said, yeah, it's quite a night, wasn't it? Now I'm desperate to hopefully have been done with my business at that point so I could get out of there, but alas, I wasn't. He somehow finished before me, took the gun, put it back in the back of his pants. And as he's walking out, he turns to me, he said, now you be careful tonight because there's some weird people out there. You could bump into some of those really crazy people out there. And <laughs> he was a little late with that advice, was he not? <laughs> um, it was never determined 100% that the lights were, were um, turned off. But just about everybody who's reasonable uh, uh, thinks that it was, and there have been a number of uh, efforts at investigative journalism to figure it out. So that was our night in Cape Cod uh, back in Massachusetts many, many years ago. Um, nothing that wacky has ever happened, to the best of my knowledge, with a Sean Porter fight. He's had uh, some great fights and uh, maybe some unexpected uh, activity in the ring, but this young man who is 30-3 and three, was a former IBF uh, champion who has fought the very best in his weight class and is now a broadcaster with Fox. Also happens to be one of the most engaging people in the sport of boxing. And we had a chance to interview him. And here's that interview.
John, how are you? It's uh, good to get a chance to visit with you. And uh, even in our sheltering at home status, uh, <laughs> it's great to get a chance to see you. Keeping it together. Uh, family's still alive. I haven't killed anyone yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> this well, is a good thing. <laughs> my, my son's two. So uh, the terrible twos, I just found out that that's a real thing. Oh. And, uh, and my wife actually just left to the doctor. So we have another another baby coming in July. So Congratulations. Thank you very much. Roman. That is there. great. Yeah. yeah, you are quite the family man. And this, you know, it's funny. I had, We had Andre Ward on uh, a few shows ago. And, you know, he has three older kids that are of varying ages. Yeah. And uh, he was talking about the fact that it's, with all the, uh, you're not at that point necessarily yet, but with all the homeschooling that people are required to do now, yeah, 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 school, yeah. he said it is, you know, he said it's a constant thing. And my, and Brian Custer, who also has several kids, you know, Brian very well, of course, same thing, you know, it's, it's a lot. Yeah. And, and I know for me, I just ordered uh, the ABCs and I ordered the one, two, threes, flashcards and things like that. And that even is still kind of hard for me to, get him into doing because obviously him being two, the attention span is, but that long. Yes. But, but the one thing I found myself thinking is I wish my son was about seven or eight years old. Cause then we could just play monopoly all day after <laughs> the, after the school work, you know? So um, yeah. For, yeah. You can have a little more fun playing other games. Yeah. For, sure. for the most part, we're all managing. My dad actually lives about, uh, when I jump on my bike to go to his house, it takes me about 20 seconds to get to his house. Cool. And I don't even pedal, so he's in the same um, uh, gated community as me. And he's got uh, he's got a bag up now, and he's got a excuse me, he's got a couple of other different um, uh, exercise uh, machines and things like that. I think I sent you one video of me hitting the bag. Yeah, yeah, um, you did. That was great. We, yeah, we have just gotten back into the swing of training and all of that kind of stuff. So I think That's right great. now we're we're gearing towards being ready whenever boxing's back. Which is, uh, which is a key point. I was going to ask you about that, but you led right into it. This is, it's important uh, at this juncture to stay ready because once they, they decide that matches are going to happen, you might not have the full eight-week training camp. Here's the cool part about it. Uh, I'm 33. I've been, I've been training uh, as a boxer since I was about five or six years old. I'm 32 going on 33. And the majority of my training between the age of – eight to about 16 to 17 most of that was done at home a lot of that was done right there in the backyard or, or on the street so i really have kind of tried to adopt this young mentality of this is i'm back to the old school you know so <laughs> i gotta i gotta fill in that whoever we get in the ring with they're gonna be in trouble because not too many guys are used to training the way that i grew up training you know so we are utilizing the backyard now, and then eventually we'll be utilizing the street out front doing sprints and things like that. And then also we have a uh, high school, um, uh, what's the Liberty High School. Yeah. Their track is open. So I'm getting on the track now twice a week as well. That's, so. a, that's a really interesting point you just made. Not all boxers, the beginning part of when boxing comes back will, will tell us a lot about how, the, how fighters prepared, how they stayed ready. And not everyone, as you point out, is kind of low tech enough to know, hey, I might not have all the bells and whistles, but yeah. this is what, it, this will work for me. So a great way to put it is, is low tech. And I think, you know, uh, I did a Facebook live not too, I think about a week ago, and I walked down the street, Badu lives in the same uh, 
complex as us as well. Oh, Badu Jack, yeah. Yeah, and Badu Jack has built out his garage. He's got some bags up and treadmills and things of that nature. And I just wanted to relay to the fighters out there on my live that you have to be able to utilize anything that's around you right now, whether it's your street, whether it's a tree in the backyard that you can tie a, a pillow around it and use mm -hmm. it as a bag. Right now, we're, we're, we're being separated. You're about to find out who is um, really um, committed to their craft, yeah. who's a professional at what, at what they do, and who's not, and who is just using this time as time to kind of just lay around and, and, and relax, you know? Um, granted, this, this is a time for us to be with our family. I'm with my sure. son all day, every day. I'm with my wife all day, every day. But at the same time, I've, been, I've, I've made it possible for myself to separate from them so that I can remain a professional at what I do. And I think that right now that's what we all need to do. We need to figure out different ways to stay professional. I mean, you're, you're in your own home, but you got your tech guys on here, yeah. which is awesome, you know? So we all have to be remain professional. And I think right now there's about to be a, a humongous separation between the, even the world champions who are professional yeah. world champions and the, and the world champions who are not professional world champions and not responsible for, for their lives and their, uh, and their daily activity in their career. Yeah, it's really interesting. You're echoing, as I mentioned, Andre Ward talked about that with us, and you're echoing a lot of what, of what Andre had to say. Who do I learn from? <laughs> yeah, no, you both, both, as, as both, you know, you both share in common the fact yeah. that you are known as people that have always been prepared and always ready to, to, <clears throat> to ply your craft, and uh, so it's not surprising you two would have similar uh, viewpoints. Now you, while you haven't been fighting, you did make a little news this past week uh, because in an interview <laughs> you suggested, I must have been asked the question or I don't know if you volunteered or you were asked, somebody must have asked you about if uh, Terrence Crawford fought Errol Spence and you suggested, if, I, if they quoted you correctly, you yeah. suggested that you thought at this juncture Ter Terrence Crawford might beat uh, Errol Spence in a fight. And I don't have a problem uh, speaking about that. I speak about it publicly anywhere yeah. I go. It, it, so, and you've seen me on Fox now. I, I sure. work as an analyst, but even before doing work for Fox as an analyst, I've always been a very analytical person. Very Everything much. that I do is very, is very analytical and, you know, and, and calculated, you know? So yeah. when, when I, when I, it, when I voice my opinion on who would win that fight, it doesn't come from me being biased towards Terrence Crawford because I lost in the fight. Sure, understandable. When I take a look at the, 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 the styles, when I take a look at who can do what, the, the different components that both guys have, the experience that both guys have, and, and now knowing, so I, I, knowing Errol Spence from being in the ring with him, but knowing Terrence Crawford for as long as I've known Terrence and seeing him on so many different platforms different national tournaments winning and now even as a professional winning time and time again when i when i do the math for myself i think that that's a fight that terrence crawford would win i think that he wins the fight from the outside and i think that he could manage a fight from the inside when he needs to but i think yeah. that for the most part he'd win the fight from the outside he has uh abilities from yeah he's he has abilities <laughs> from the southpaw position as well as the orthodox position yeah. Great boxer, speed, uh, the mechanics, um, the 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 um, the intuition in the ring, and all of that. I just think that that that's a fight that Terence Crawford would win. Well, you're in an interesting uh, position to comment on that. Of course, you did fight uh, Errol Spence, and it was a terrific fight. 
razor thin fight. Uh, and you use many of the boxing skills you're talking about yeah. uh, in the course of that fight with Errol Spence. You yeah. fought a thinking man's fight. Yeah. Uh, of course, used your physicality as well when you needed to. But you were able to employ many things in that fight that uh, that kind of put Errol Spence a little bit on his heels. It was a great fight, and you know, all I the way around. Tell you, I, I love telling the story uh, of a, a mentor of mine out in New York is actually my tailor who does my suits. We always talk after the fights, and he has this question that he likes to ask me. He said, he said he'll he'll say, you know, you had him, didn't you? I said, oh yeah, <laughs> I knew I had him. And and he says, we had this conversation about the fight with Errol. He says. Uh, he looked at me, he said, did you know you had him? I said, oh, yeah. He said, when did you know you had him? I said, I'll be honest, Malcolm. It was about the fifth or sixth round. I did a pullback counter on his jab. So he threw a jab. I pulled back just slightly, and I countered him with a jab. And he shook his head, and he cursed. And I, I could tell that he knew he shouldn't have gotten hit with yeah. what I hit him with. And it let me know that I was thinking ahead of him. And he rec and he recognized that I was ahead of him at that point in the fight. And so, you know, it's it's always, um, you know, the experiences that I've had in the ring are what carry me on to the next fight. And so, um, one thing that I know about me, they say styles make fights. And when when I'm a rare commodity because I have a number of different yeah, styles right. that I can use in the ring. And I think when you say, okay, who wins? Earl Spencer, Sean Porter. Who wins? Terrence Crawford or Sean Porter. Who wins? Manny Pacquiao or Sean Porter. Who wins? Danny Garcia or Sean Porter. With me, you, you, you really don't know because styles make fights and I can bring so many different elements to the game that not many people can do. But I do think that when you take a look at the style that Errol Spence has and the style that Terrence Crawford has, I think that I think Terrence Crawford has a little bit more than, than Errol Spence, and I think Terrence Crawford will win the fight. Yeah. You rightfully pointed out that you are a chameleon in the ring because you are able to do different things. And one of the interesting things about your career, of course, is that you have fought literally just about everybody, with the exception of maybe Terrence Crawford, just about everybody who is an elite welterweight, not Manny Pacquiao either, but you know, you fought Spence, you fought Ugas, very tough man, Danny Garcia, uh, Keith Thurman, Kell Brook before that. Do you think sometimes uh, it gets kind of glossed over the idea that you have probably fought the overall the toughest schedule of maybe anybody in the welterweight division? You know what? One thing one thing could be is that I think maybe if you start from if you start all the way from the beginning of when I became world champion, that was uh, Devin Alexander, and then you just kind of right. you 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 take a look at the fights from sure from, from uh. Uh, Devin Alexander on I think I've gotten better in every fight and I think that there's been something different in every fight and I think it kind of kind of wipes away what happened in the previous fight and one thing my dad is, has always taught me he says he says boxing does not care about you boxing only cares about what you ha what have you done for me lately right. and I think because the next fight is better than the previous fight. I think that some of the some of the the greatness has kind of been lost in the shuffle of of other greatness. But um, you know, for me, for me, it's all a matter of again, what what have you done for me lately? You know, so we can talk about the fight that I had with Errol Spence, and we can go down a list of all of the different fights. But if I don't win the very next fight, then that tarnishes everything that's yeah. happened before you know so it's not the opposite you know so when you win it's like you know that was great what, what's he gonna do next right. it's not you know you're not gonna say that was great but look at what he did against such and such you know so 
that's just how it goes. But that's the game, and, True. and I don't yeah. mind. I think a lot of times people do forget about um, my quote-unquote resume and who I've been in the ring with. Um, but my whole thing there is, hey, just get on the internet and take a look, and, and, and you'll be reminded true. of who Showtime Sean Porter is. Yeah, the facts are there, that's for sure. Yeah. And you mentioned you're almost 30, you're going to be 33, you're 32 years of age. Um, and you're one of those fighters who has um, always stayed in fantastic condition. You've not taken a huge amount of punishment in the ring. Yeah. When you look at yourself as a, a person about to be 33, what do you see, Dom, in terms of the number of years you would still like to fight? You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, I'm I'm extremely blessed. Uh, you talk about the the names that that I've been in the mm -hmm. ring with, and you know, not much punishment. Uh, and 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 I'm very very healthy. You know, and yeah. I'm, I'm very very grateful for that, especially given who I've been in the ring with. Um, speaking to my wife uh, just last night, we were talking about the plan when I when I turned pro. The plan between the team was my dad myself and maybe a couple of other uh mm -hmm. just advisors that we that we were dealing with at that point in time and my dad said i want you to be done by by the time you're 30. he says by the time you're 30 you you should have done enough that mm -hmm. you can be done i think way back then neither of us really knew what it would take to get to the right. point that we're at now that's right but getting to the point that i'm at now it's telling my wife um you know, I'm, I'm extremely blessed to be as healthy as I am fighting now, 32 going into 33, which wasn't the plan. I said, but God has continued to lead me to fight, so I'm going to continue to fight. And I said, and with this COVID virus going on, that set everybody back a year. So, yeah, you know, hypothetically, even if I was going to be 30 this year, it set me back a year. So I still would fight until I'm 31. So right now, I still feel like the sky's the limit for me. I still feel like there's some great fights to be had out there for me. And, uh, and, I, and I feel great. So, um, and the best part about it is with this COVID virus uh, going on, I think it's become a gut check for all of us. Yeah. Gut check for, for no matter what you do and who you are, it's become a gut check for you. And it's, it's really forced us all to get some things right in our lives. Good and point. So I think for me, uh, the thing to get right is being 32 going into 33, it's not about how hard you fight. It's about how smart you fight. It's about how smart you prepare for the battle that you're about to go into. So, uh, you know, it, call me crazy, but I'm, I'm grateful for this time that I have now to kind of rejuvenate myself and get some things running the correct way before we get back in the ring. It's really interesting and, it, and all very good points. You are a proud Buckeye, born in Ohio, and, um, hey, a, and a proud Cleveland Browns fan. Uh, but now you live in Las Vegas and you've been out here for a number of years and uh, you and I cross paths out here sometimes at uh, places where music's going on and we oh, you sing man I was blown away <laughs> I'm blown away right now just talking about it. I was blown away I had no you clue. came out to see me sing a couple times <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah we had fun you yeah. and your dad um and you uh, you have taken it seems to me and you can enlighten me if I'm wrong it seems to me that you have taken to Las Vegas and you, like many of us who move here, and I've been here longer, you are starting to get a sense of, I, oh, hey, look, we got a visitor. How are yeah. you? I got uh, you, you've gotten to start to get a sense of home here, haven't you? Absolutely. Uh, being here now seven years, uh, this is definitely home. Uh, and I'm great that you bring that up because uh, I have a couple of friends here. I got about eight good friends here. 
three of which are from back home in, 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 in Cleveland. So, yeah. uh, so my circle is very small and, um, I have two friends that are born and raised here or, or basically born and raised here. And we're going to go out this weekend to, uh, what we're going to go to, um, Summerlin, a hospital, I believe, and we're gonna okay. give out we're gonna give out uh, dinners and lunches oh, to to the nurses and the doctors up there. Just our way of giving back, and and eventually we want we want to grow that. I think um, my bases will be Vegas and Cleveland in terms of where my direct help is, and then from there I want to expand. But um, the Port Away is is the Port Away Foundation is what we're is what we're uh, gonna start um, ramping up here, and we're gonna start helping out these hospitals the Good best for you. Can. And so when you talk about being home, I really want to take care of these hospitals here and, uh, and show them that the people care about what, what's going on and how they're helping. And uh, I think right now that's the best way I can do it. Well, you have been so well received in this city and people here like to think of you as an adopted son. You know, you've come here and you've been, you've been a part of the community. And, uh, and I know from talking to you know, lots of people here in Las Vegas that they appreciate the fact that you didn't just, you're not just here, you're a part of the community. Yeah, yeah, no, I am very much so a part of the community, but but again, that's how that's who I am. I think when you first came on, you said, you know me to be a, a very big family, man. I very much so am. And, uh, you know, so uh, along with my family, I mean, I, I think, you know, I try to give my family the best. And so I have to take care of my community and those in my community so that, we do have the best that we we can have yeah he's having fun is he enjoying the the uh has he been enjoying this little time with you being around so much the best part about this is he does not know what's going on that's the best part about it <laughs> yeah exactly and i and i've told people if you if you're upset about what's going on if you're worried because if you because you're not working you you're worried you know about this and that get around the kid get around yeah, the child true. because children have no recollection of what's going on right now and they just want to they just want to laugh and smile and have fun sure. and they really will put a smile on your face so he's he's been able to do that more than anything it's just really you know we've dealing with the news and all that kind of stuff and he's got closed ears to it and all he knows is toy story and have fun so exactly it, this is yeah he definitely gets me away from everything that's going on Sean we had a situation where uh, my wife and I, our house burnt, and we had to almost burn down. We had to live. We were we had we before we could get a rental house. We were living with my mother-in-law for for about two weeks, and we had and my son was a little older than him, and we must have watched the first Toy Story. I'm gonna say 50 times in about a three-week period. I can recite every single line from that. So I get where you're coming from. Part. He's about he's two and a half, and uh, and he can do word for word. Um, he even he even loves the opening. You know, Disney has the opening yes. show, the castle, and all that. He he will hum the music to that, and he really is just a joy to be around. And extremely, that's great. Yeah. Now you are you uh, you alluded to the fact that you've been broadcasting now on Fox and doing an excellent job. Thank you. And that kind of lends itself to your approach because you should point out you you try to approach boxing from not always an emotional standpoint though that's part of it but also the analytical part. Have yeah. you enjoyed the broadcasting that you've been doing? I love it. I can't wait to get back to it. I think right now um, my focus more so is uh, is fighting. But um, we, we, we do have a text with the Fox group going on and they're trying to figure out how to keep us working. So I love it. I love, um, I love being able to really break things down 
I think that I have a mind that's different from most opinions out there. And I think that I give people a view that they, they don't really recognize or don't, it's not their first instinct to see. Yeah. So I think um, with that being said, I, I think that's why I love it so much because I know that I, it's almost like uh, an advantage uh, because I know that I'm going to be able to say something that you either didn't recognize or if you recognize that you didn't really understand it. And so I, I love that part of what I'm doing so far. And I can't wait to get back doing it. I can't wait to get back to Fox Studios. Well, you're doing a great job. And uh, you're doing a great job as a family man, as, uh, uh, as we can see here. Yeah. And, uh, and I, uh, I wish you guys the best during this time. And uh, you've always been uh, a great, great uh, fighter for me to cover. And yeah. I've had the privilege of doing a number of your fights. And uh, it's always been a joy to deal with you, Sean. You got it. I told my dad earlier, uh, we were training, I told him that I would be on the line with you today. He told me to tell you hello. Yeah, for sure. Well, tell him I said hi. All right, so we got... Yeah, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, we got two for the price of one in this interview. Oh, that yeah. It's important right there, yeah. So that was an extra bonus for us. My and, dad... Uh, and I wish you guys the best uh, during this period. And before I let you go, let me just ask you, when you come back, what would be your guess as to when you think you might do it? And do you have any opponents lined up that you've been thinking about? You know what? I have no clue right now. Um, this is what I do know. I know that myself, I'm not a fighter that needs a tune-up. I'm not a fighter that's... No, you never get tune-ups. Yeah, I'm not a fighter that really needs to get in there and kind of feel the fight out and get comfortable. I'm, I'm ready to go when they call my name. Uh, as far as I know, um, it will be this year that boxing wants to come back. I'm hoping that it's this year and I'm hoping to be, you know, right there in that top tier of those guys that get back in the ring. Um, I heard something that, uh, uh, that uh, uh, Garcia uh, mentioned that he would want to fight me. I'm, I was surprised to hear that, but if that's something that, um, that Garcia team wants to do, we can make that fight happen. I think that would be a great fight. And I think well, right now we've done it before with him, and it was a terrific fight. The uh, the other uh, Garcia. Oh, Mikey Garcia. Yeah, yeah Mikey, Mikey Garcia. Yeah, sure. yeah Mikey. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah, I always I didn't want to say Danny's name, and I always end up mixing them. Yeah, mixing no, them. my bad. I I, yeah. I should have known it was Mikey. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That would be a, that would be an intriguing fight for sure. And what I was going to say is, we know that when we come back, there's not going to be any crowd. There's not going to be a walk up. Uh, yeah. A tailgate, uh, gate, uh, pricing or anything like that. No tickets sold. So. I think the best thing for them to do is to try to find out who's the best fights to put on pay-per-view and who's willing to get in the ring. So if Mikey wants to do it, then then let's so be it. If not him, then we'll figure it out. But yeah. look, see me before the end of the year. Trick is to get everybody back and help you get the sport running again. Yeah. Sean, thank you so much for taking the time. You got it, my man. Anytime. All right, take care. Bye, buddy. Tell him showtime. <laughs> Say showtime. <laughs> take care. Showtime. See you later. So you can see why I referred to Sean Porter as one of the most engaging people in boxing. He is that, but also has lots of substance, interesting things to say uh, about uh, what's going on in the world of boxing. And it was fun to revisit some of his boxing moments as well. Now, every week we uh, get questions from you that you send into Twitter. They are always interesting, always uh, unique. And Mr. Trip Mitchell, we've got some good ones and interesting ones this week, don't we? 
We do. And, and throughout history, boxers are multi-talented. Uh, Roy Jones was a basketball player and a boxer. Yeah. But this question more on the entertainment front, and it kind of hits home to the fact that you're an accomplished singer, and it's which boxer sings the best? And if you had to record a duet, which one would you choose? Very intriguing question, but an, an easy one to answer. Uh, there have been boxers. Joe Frazier had a musical group. Uh, the uh, uh, Larry Holmes did. Oscar De La Hoya did an album. Manny Pacquiao uh, has recorded some music. And there have probably been some others as well. But it's an easy question to answer because by far the most talented boxer to be a, a professional musician was the late Ernie Terrell, who was a heavyweight champion briefly in the 1960s. He was a top contender who fought and beat most everybody in that era, except for Muhammad Ali, who he lost to. And Ernie was a champion in 64 and 65, had a piece of the heavyweight championship. But he was also a very accomplished musician. He was a good guitar player and singer and songwriter. And he and he called his group Ernie Terrell and the Heavyweights. Not shocking, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, his sister, Jean Terrell, was in the group. Now, Jean Jarrell was very, very talented, and she would go on to replace Diana Ross uh, as a member of the Supremes when Diana Ross left that group. And to give you an idea uh, of uh, the talent of Ernie and his, uh, and his group, uh, here's a clip of Ernie performing on the Hollywood Palace back in the 60s. And this, this show aired only two nights before uh, Ernie Terrell was to fight Muhammad Ali. Take a listen. With the hammer and a knee. With the hammer and a knee. With an axe and a saw. With an axe and a saw. With a pencil and a ruler. With a pencil and a ruler. And my old grandma. And my old grandma, yeah. Grandpa built a house so strong. A place. So that was evidence of what I was talking about. Ernie wrote that song, by the way, as well. And he and his sister and uh, their group did a fine job with it. Now, Tripp, you may be surprised to know that when I realized we had this question, I actually gave some thought to the actual song I would duet with to Ernie Terrell. So are you proud of me for doing my homework on this one? This is very impressive, Al. All right, I know. I won't, and my goal is to make you proud. So that's, uh, that's okay. all I'm here for. Uh, I. I came up with a song that I had heard Ernie sing, and it involves our hometown. Ernie's from Chicago, and of course, I'm from Chicago. 
And there's a famous blues song, song called Going to Chicago. And I do it in my act all the time. And just to give people an idea, here's a little taste of that. So if you come and hear me sing, you're likely to hear me do going to Chicago. Unfortunately, Ernie Terrell passed away in 2014. So alas, uh, we will not be duetting to that. Ernie was a wonderful, wonderful man and uh, greatly missed in boxing. But so there's the answer to the question of uh, most talented uh, boxing boxer uh, to be in music and uh, the man I would most likely duet with. And it's funny, Al, having seen you sing, you ended up marrying a singer. So I your did. son... Your son is not a boxer. He is a... <laughs> He's a... Yeah, he, no, no shock. He is a singer-songwriter. Uh, we certainly didn't expect him to become a doctor or an insurance salesman, both of us being in entertainment. And the music was, was a likely possibility for him. That's fantastic. Uh, our next question is, you've interviewed fighters who, and 
during which you've had a unique way of asking tough questions without being a wise guy or without belittling fighters, which is an art. Um, the question is, did you have a mentor? How did you develop your style of broadcasting? Yeah, I don't know if I had a mentor of a person that I, that I looked at, though there are some very fine people in boxing and other sports who have been great interviewers. Uh, but it kind of, I was thrown into the breach with uh, the top ranked boxing show because uh, we did what, 40 some shows a year. And I had to interview at least two or three fighters every week after they had boxed. And there's two kinds of interviews you do with fighters. One is it right after a fight. Uh, and then the other is in obviously when you have more time, whether it's in a studio setting or you've gone to interview them at the gym or some other, other place. Interviewing them in the ring is an intriguing situation because you only normally have maybe three, maybe four questions max that you can ask. So you have to have a roadmap. And one of the most important things to me is you never ask the toughest question first. You never ask the one that could be the most difficult for them to answer or might be even a little controversial. You never ask that first. You always ask a question that will make them feel you know, good about the interview and have some rapport. And a good thing to remember also is you're interviewing someone who's just gone through a fight where they've been hit in the head a bunch of times and they've been through a rigorous physical activity. Um, and so I think it's important to, to make them feel comfortable. The other thing that's important in an interview situation like that is don't ask big, long, convoluted, tricky questions where you're showing how smart you are by, by explaining a bunch of things because you just want to get to the nuts and bolts of, of what you're asking. And the other thing that I, as an interviewer, that is my guidepost is I'm there to get information for the viewer. I am not there to show knowledge I have. I'm not there to show the world that I can ask a tough question. Uh, and so maybe part of that is what the, the, uh, the questioner was alluding to, that my style of interviewing is, is one that is wrapped in what I think is a respectful way to approach athletes, but hopefully can still get at information, even information that might be tough for them to acknowledge. And I would, I would suggest that that approach gets you more likely to get them to talk about things that are a little tougher for them. So that's my approach to that. And Al, having done it quite a bit myself, yes. the challenge is you're standing next to a guy who's sweating and bloody. Right. I bet your dry cleaning bill is through the roof. <laughs> exactly. And by the way, I should say Tripp is, you know, is an excellent interviewer, both for sports he's done on site and also in other locations. So you are, and you, and you employ many of the same techniques that I just suggested. So how about, <laughs> how about the bloodiest fighter you've ever been with? <laughs> oh God, when you're standing next to them and there's blood all over the place. Wow. Uh, well, I did an interview with Vito Anafermo once after a fight. Enough said, right? I mean, Vito bled, Vito bled during the pre-fight instructions. So that speaks for itself. That does. And then finally, this is another kind of inside boxing broadcasting, which people, I'm getting great response on these questions because they want to learn about things. And is there anyone from a different network who you love to have called a fight with? And also, do you prefer calling fights with a two-man team or a three-man team? Yeah, that's a, that is an interesting question. Now, as far as somebody that I didn't get to, I've announced with so many people, uh, but there are some that I have never announced with. Uh, 
but there's one gentleman who I did a couple of fights with in uh, uh, on pay-per-views, but didn't really get to work with him regularly. And I consider him one of the very best that's ever done it. And that is Tim Ryan. He and Gil Clancy did the fights on CBS. And during the first decade or so of my broadcasting career in the 80s and even into the early 90s, Tim was doing boxing on CBS and some other places as well. And he did it almost exclusively with the great Gil Clancy, who was kind of a mentor to me as a broadcaster and was a close friend. And he and Tim, it was like watching, uh, you know, uh, Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, you know, they were just so beautifully choreographed. And I did get to sit in on a couple of broadcasts where I sat in with both of them. Uh, and, uh, and so I did get to do a few hot fights where I was with Tim, but I would have loved the chance to work with him more often. Now, as it relates to the two and three man booth, here's the, I mean, the, the genesis of how boxing has gone is the same way it's gone for every single sport. Every sport started out with a one-man booth way back in the day when it was radio and maybe just beginning TV, moved to a two-man booth, and then in most cases these days, or many cases, moved to a three-man booth. Uh, back in the day when I was, doing the, I was doing the Olympic Festival for ESPN and uh, Barry Tompkins, who was my normal partner, was hosting the Olympic Festival, so I had to do the boxing on my own. So it was three rounds fights, and uh, I did it alone. And Don Dunphy, who was a mentor and a friend of mine, uh, watched those fights, and he called me on the phone. He said, see, I told you, because he did the fights as one person, and he felt that was the way boxing should be done, with one voice. And he said, see, I told you, you should be doing those fights alone. I didn't have the heart to tell Don, yeah, this was like a three-round fight and you do maybe two in the evening in the, or two or three in the Olympic festival. It's not like doing a two and a half hour show alone, you know, with the, it's a little bit more difficult. Um, two man boots, in my humble opinion, are the most appropriate booth for all of sports. That's just the way I feel. I feel like two voices is sufficient. Uh, and for the first 30 years of my career, I was for the most part in two man boots. Then, as it was the case with most uh, sporting uh, situations, I ended up in three-man boots, first with Gus Johnson and Antonio Tarver, and then uh, when Pauli Malnagy came on uh, with he and Morrow, and, uh, and sometimes other people are replacing them as Morrow as play-by-play man. A three-man booth is harder to make it work. I'm not against three-man boots. I, I've enjoyed the three-man boots I've been in. Uh, I've been, I very much enjoyed working with Antonio and Gus, and I certainly enjoy Morrow and, and Pauly. And we, we talk all the time about how making that three-man scenario work uh, within the confines without it inundating the broadcast and still being able to give information. So it's a little trickier with uh, the three-man boot, but it is what, what sports broadcasting now is about. So that's the way you have to make it work. Well, appreciate it. And uh, when you and I work together, you've taught me a lot about how to be a blow-by-blow guy on TV in that you yep. don't have to talk about everything. The fans can see it. Let yep. the color guy, in your case, blossom. Yeah, no, it's true. And there, I, I'm a big believer in, in certain, uh, for people that do play-by-play in boxing, I think there's a 
a way of doing it that I think uh, accommodates both those things. I want to mention something before we uh, say goodbye, and that is uh, I talked about our Showtime broadcasts, of course. Uh, Showtime, like so many of the, the other uh, networks that have uh, sports uh, archives, are showing uh, every Friday night are showing um, uh, matches to uh, the fans uh, out there uh, to give them something to look at. And uh, on May 8th, Friday, May 8th, which is the day this uh, uh, podcast drops, the, uh, you can watch that evening. Um, you can watch uh, Keith Thurman taking on Sean Porter and also his fight with Danny Garcia. That'll be on Showtime. Uh, uh, and then the following Friday, uh, you can look at Floyd Mayweather taking on Marcos Maidana in their first fight, which I thought was a very exciting fight, a fight that, by the way, I thought was a draw, even though they, uh, Mayweather got a close decision uh, win. And also the, the fight that uh, uh, created such a hoopla in the uh, boxing and MMA world, uh, Floyd Mayweather against uh, Conor McGregor. So that's, that, that's, those two are on May 15th, and you can take a look at those. And May 8th, it's uh, Thurman against Porter and Thurman against Garcia. Trip, always a pleasure to, uh, to get together for these uh, podcasts. I enjoy it and can't wait for next week. Yeah, we're going to have fun. Uh, our next show, we will have Kevin Ioli as our uh, special guest. So we hope you will join us, and we'll see you next time.